This is the Requiem Metal Podcast, episode 16, At the Gates. Welcome to the Requiem Metal Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Hundy. I'm Mark Rudolph. And joining us today are a couple of special guests. Uh, one person who you've heard on a previous podcast uh, from previous weeks, that would be Chris Dick, joining us again. Hello, Chris. Hello. And a very special guest, uh, writer, author, publisher, editor, metalhead, uh, Albert Mujerian. Uh What's going on? Uh, my pants are ringing right now. It's, Uh-oh. It's a little Uh-oh. awkward, but yeah. um, that's how I like to introduce myself. <laughs> Bringing, bringing my pants to the table. And uh, we've all sort of been joined for uh, a specific reason. Um, we drove in, as some of you listening to a previous podcasts know, we drove into Philadelphia, uh, not just to record the Amorphous podcast, but also to visit upon the At The Gates reunion show that was uh, up, opened up in New York last night. So depending on when we uh, this podcast goes to air, that would have been uh, July 9th of Wednesday. So... The four of us rode up there with a friend of ours uh, who was not on this podcast, but we drove up uh, last night and had a good rocking time. It was uh, all of us were sweaty in the pit, and uh, we thought this would be a wonderful opportunity to bring a podcast about at the gates because we haven't really talked about the band yet, and we have uh, sort of a an expert in the area, many experts in the, in the area of Swedish death metal here. And so, uh, you know, Albert, tell us a little bit about the background. I'm sure some of the podcast listeners are familiar with your book and magazine and stuff, but maybe just to give us that, that background. A lot of vibrating phones going on here. A lot of important people here. Yeah, yeah there's a lot of people who, you know, you know how to turn things off. <laughs> right. Um, well, you know, I mean, I, th- I think a lot of people have become more familiar with At The Gates over the past few years, and not even so much through death metal or Swedish death metal, but just from the glut of uh, mostly American uh, hardcore and metalcore and, you know, post-death metal bands they've influenced. Mm -hmm. So uh, their relevance right now is like, I mean, truthfully, it's probably higher than it's ever been before, Um, even though, you know, the band hadn't been around for a dozen years mm-hmm. uh, leading up to this point so I think that there's a uh, there's a new generation of kids who you know are in their you know teens or early 20s who didn't really know at the gates um, they just knew it uh, you know vis-a-vis other bands like the darkest hours of the world or the kill switch engages or you know whomever um, and it's really you know now like those kids are kind of getting turned on at the gates um, and you know for uh, old folks in our 30s like us um, you know we you know we were just excited to see him again and it's like you know and I think that was something that like you guys probably noticed too last night was it was a really varied crowd like the yeah. ages it was like really cool you know mm-hmm. um, it was you know the the younger kids it was people our age it was god i even saw people older than us i had no idea <laughs> that people could live to be older than us so the first uh, like first four songs i couldn't hear thomas sing at all just because everyone in the crowd was singing every lyric yeah that was like unreal i've never been to a show like that except for like iron maiden yeah, yeah. no when they when they i mean they opened up uh i mean what was it? they opened up a slaughter of the soul and i think they played cold second mm-hmm. and it was just like 
I, yeah, I was up in the balcony and hearing hearing everybody sing along uh, just sent it sent like a chill yeah. down my spine, and I was like super excited. And there was just like it was really it was like it was some you knew something special was happening. Yeah, and um, it was I didn't expect that. I mean, you know, even as the set went on, the fact that there were some people who knew the words to rape by the light of Christ. I was like, what? Yeah. Like there's yeah. somebody standing, standing next to me who knows this, you know, yeah. like, and I couldn't find, you know, with fear, I kissed the burning darkness for under $25 in for, like for years. Yeah. 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 You know? And, but I mean, again, it's, it's a strange generational thing. Absolutely. And, and it brought me back. I mean, you know, at the gates was one of my first death metal, if not the first death metal show I ever saw when I was still a senior in high school. With uh, with Chris actually years ago, and uh, I was 18 again. You know, last night. You know, I mean, I generally we are all talking about that. We generally aren't in the center of you know people pushing and mosh pits and all that stuff. I generally like to sort of stand back and, and just sort of enjoy myself at oh. concerts and watch the band. But it was like the energy was there and it sort of sucked you right in. I mean, you were front row the whole show yeah. for most of it, right? Yeah, the power of uh, Swedish death metal compelled me. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I was. I, you know, it was it was shocking. I mean, like, and you know, you get, uh, and I don't want to turn this into something that's kind of industry-ish, but you no, know, go because you have a different perspective on this because you're part of the the right. outsider, you know, sort of you know metal industry, now, right? So know. when you're, you're you know when you're involved in a magazine or involved in the metal music industry, you're going to watch shows and it becomes the kind of thing where, you know, I mean, it's not that it's. Unexciting, but you know it's it's a little more Comes routine. After you become yeah. jaded in right. a way. Like I, I don't get very excited about concerts nowadays. I'm not even really in the industry, but you know, being that Mark and I and Chris, you know, used to go to metal festivals all the time and exhausting. You know, mm-hmm. just waiting it out for like the two or three bands you want to see. Right. It's you know hard to get the motivation to get in a car and deal with the 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 crap that you have to deal with when you yeah. go to some of these shows. But you know. Like you said, it, it just, it, it sort of... It was all worth it. It was all different kind of experience, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it just, I, I don't know. I think we all felt young, too, which was awesome. You yeah, know, like I show I've had banged at, I don't know how many years. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so. it, it become, you know, when you're in a concert and it becomes sort of like a Darwinistic experience where you're just, you know, fighting yeah. it out for survival, but yet still enjoying yourself, you know you're kind of in that old sort of metal mode, you know. Yeah, and, and I think that there, there are just a lot of factors that made it all work. You know, obviously that this is the first time anybody's getting a chance to see them in so long. Um, that I think everybody, I think everybody knew they were going to be good. I don't think there was any doubt. Like, you know, are these guys going to still have it? Are they going to be able to pull it off? Just because the fact that you know Anders and Jonas have been in the haunted for so long, and you know, Thomas between like Disfear and the Great Deceiver and the Crown and just all the other things that he's been doing and you know, Adrian and Cradle. Like these guys were they were tuned up, you know, all they had to do was just, you know, rehearse for a bit and get it back together again. So, you know, having that knowing it was gonna be good and uh, also that like I think everybody in the room was aware that this was kind of just a, a fleeting moment and you needed to latch on, you needed yeah. to catch it and just mm-hmm fully immerse yourself and invest everything into it because they've said this is it they're doing this tour they're not doing a record and that's it they're gone so like it's like here it is while you're here just seize that moment and I think that's I mean that's definitely what I felt while I was there and oh, yeah. you know you know, talking with a, a Corey Groh who's you know a friend of ours a decibel contributor yeah. also 
you know, was there uh, last night. He had the, you know, he definitely uh, resonated the same. You know? mm-hmm. Now we were sort of speculating on whether or not, you know, you think they'll probably cut a live album out of all this and then call it quits. You know. Yeah, you know, I mean, I don't see why you wouldn't want to do like a live DVD or something like that. I mean, the only thing that is a little strange is, uh, you know, they. I don't think they're technically. Ob- I don't think they're. I don't know if they're contractually obligated. I don't know if they owe earache anything else. Mm-hmm. And if they do, they might not be in a hurry to fulfill that. Yeah. And if they <laughs> don't, I don't know who would put it out. I guess. Yeah, I mean, they could potentially release it to peacefully, even. Sure, sure. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely something that's possible. I just don't know the ins and outs of that. Now, being being uh, part of Decibel, you you had a sort of an outside hand in, in kind of getting this event sort of together last night, you know, kind of give some of the listeners, like, a little bit of background on, like, your, your relationship with At The Gates, maybe through writing the book Choosing Death, and, like, how some of that sort of stuff kind of came together. Right. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't really, you know, I didn't really have any hand in, like, putting the tour together or, you know, influencing them to, you know, do a tour or shows or anything like that. Other than, like, you know, the occasional, like, email to, like, Thomas. Yeah. Like, hey, you know what would be cool? (laughs) Um, If I got to hear Kingdom Gone sometime, it would be great. Mm -hmm. Um, But, um, no, it it was the kind of thing where, you know, I I didn't even know they were going to do it because, like, you know, Thomas and I are friends and we talk. You know, every once in a while, and you know, when it was announced that they were going to play some shows and do, you know, they, you know, first announced they would do some shows in Europe or something, and you know, he emailed me like after it was announced, and he was like, "Hey, he's like, I was sworn to secrecy by everybody with this, and um, you know, it's like something we talked about, and you know, we just decided to do it, and you know, nobody knew, and you know, we just put it out there like that." And I was like, "Okay, cool," and I was like. You know, if you ever want to do, you know, if you guys get a U.S. tour together this year, which, you know, I would think you probably would if you're going to do these Euro dates, yeah. you know, Decibel would be happy to sponsor it, you know. And, like, Thomas is a good friend of the magazine, and he's like, you know, I wouldn't want anybody else to do it. It's perfect. So, you know, we got involved really early on. And, again, it's, it's one of those other things where it isn't, you know, there isn't a label behind the band. There isn't a manager behind the band. And when you... The way the industry works is normally when you get in those tour sponsorships, they, the label or the manager will come to you and say, "Hey, you know, would you guys be interested in this?" Mm-hmm. And since there isn't, there, there aren't those elements, it's up to the band to do that. So it was cool to, to you know, feel like that they were, that we were wanted. I mean, the same thing is going to happen. You know, hopefully by the time this uh, podcast is up, it'll be announced that there's going to be a full U.S. Carcass tour. Yeah. You know, and the same thing happened with that, where you know we. We were told by Carcass we would be sponsoring this. <laughs> so, <laughs> just, well, 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 I do remember the article though when you the article that had at the gates and Carcass what, a year year and a half ago maybe or oh the uh, the the, uh, the, the pros and cons yeah, yeah, yeah. a couple of years ago. I mean I, I just I wonder if that you, you think maybe that that planted a seed or maybe it's what you were talking about earlier in that they're more relevant today than they've ever been in some ways in terms of their influence on the scene and maybe they recognize that and said let's do it now because it's like the the zeitgeist you know like <laughs> it's pushing us yeah know? no i i there i mean there's a lot of factors i don't think that you know decibel suggesting or me suggesting has anything to do with it it's, it's just the you know 
there are all these factors. There's there is a demand for it. I mean, you, you know, for so many years, people have been saying how great it would be if Carcass did this, or how great it would be if At the Gates did this. And these guys, you know, they're real people. They're not like they don't turn a blind ear to this. They know that. Like, yeah, they don't they, hate the fans. They don't hate the, They yeah. know that people are like, you know, this would be awesome if you did this. And you know, they start thinking, yeah, it might be kind of awesome. And you know, and for some of these bands, it's like they are conflicted because they want to keep a legacy intact. Yeah, um, they don't want to get back together and have it suck. They don't want it to, you know, uh, underwhelm people when it happens, if it happens. And you know, a lot of these guys, especially in at the gates, they have active other projects, and they, you know, like that's very difficult to coordinate. Like if you've got like, if there are like three bands who are real bands and have. Um, label deals I mean they they have to adhere to certain production schedules to releases and tours and you know if you've got like three of those that you're balancing it's so difficult to kind of line it up to to get that permission to be able to do something like this have that clear space so you know it's it's challenging for them so I think you know it's the kind of thing they make a decision and it isn't until a year later that they can actually do it the stars align in the right sort of way I mean I know Carcass was trying to you know, the, the, there's been a, there's been a few like very close false starts over the past couple of years with the Carcass reunion. Like this could have easily happened two or three years ago. Hmm. Um, it's just interesting that, in my opinion, like kind of the two most sort of sought after reunion bands in the extreme metal scene just happened to almost align at the exact almost the exact same time, the exact same summer. You know, it almost. Well, we were trying. We were trying uh, talking about trying to do an at the gates carcass tour. I mean, that would be monstrous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that you know, the Emperor reunion also sort of has a spark in this whole concept of reunion tours and what they're capable of. Um, obviously, the Emperor, the first Emperor reunion tour in the states, obviously, Samoff wasn't able to attend a couple of those shows due to his uh, legal issues. You know, mm-hmm. uh, but I think that you know by by Emperor doing it, it kind of proves the concept that you by going out there, playing again, playing for people, you can actually recapture the magic you had back when you were a full-time band, putting out records, touring, being on a label, without a lot of other other commitments. Mm. You know, you're going out there, you're playing a, you're playing a show, and like you said, it, it's it's a moment in time, and it's really up to the band and the audience to capture that moment in time to make it something special. Um, so I think that you know Emperor was sort of one of the. Well, I don't think it had any influence by any means on any of these other things, but I think it sort of proved proved a concept that it's it's possible to be to go out there and do it and be successful. Mm-hmm. Well, I find it interesting for people to talk about it positively. Well, sure, and I find it interesting. I think it speaks very loudly to the to where extreme metal is in the. And you could speak to this having done kind of a, a historical documentation of this. That like these bands now. I mean, we're talking. You know, Carcass broke up ninety five. At the gates, what, 97, 96, 97 era? I mean, we're now 10, 12 years. Generationally, we're starting to get removed. I mean, it's almost like we've grown old with these bands, and and, and there is, like you said, an increased demand for some of these older, legendary extreme metal bands to sort of get everything together. And, and you know, there's a market for that now where 10 years ago, who would have gotten excited about any, you know, a Celtic Frost reunion in 94, 95? Right. Probably no one, you know, like. It's it's Mark and I have talked about this on previous podcasts where like it's almost like 
people who grew up with this music are now in the decision making driving seat you know we're we're like you know that's why a book like choosing death is coming out or headbangers journey document documentary things like this like those wouldn't have happened 10 years ago there was no feasible market because it was a bunch of skateboarders 16 year old kids and you know i mean people with no jobs and and i and i don't know if maybe you know culturally you think that 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 plays a role in all that i mean having done a a history of of sort of death metal i mean are we in a kind of a unique time period for for sort of extreme metal in terms of being able to look now look back at it well yeah i mean it has it didn't really even have that much of a history when we were kids growing up with it, you know? I mean, it's it, it like, it, yeah, it had yeah. some, and, you know, it was really, at the time, it was really transient, you know? It's just like, okay, you know, this is what I'm going through, and these are the bands I'm into, and I don't know what's going to happen next. And I think by the time you, you know, hit your late 20s and your early 30s and you're... Growing up. God, your adulthood. <laughs> um, you know, it... it, it you know, you have a different kind of perspective on things. And like you said, you know, as an adult or uh, somebody who could be mistaken for an adult, you have these opportunities to do things like, you know, publish magazine, write books, uh, help with tours, um, you know, connect with bands, connect with, you know, people and get things done. And, you know, the, there are these people that like, you know, we're... It, it, it happens to everybody. I mean, there's people who, you know, you can you can definitely progress with the times and, like, um, evolve and, you know, listen to newer bands and, and be into newer bands. And I am. You guys all are, too. But, you know, there's, there's obviously something that's always special about your first, you know, love, your, the way you connect with this stuff. It's very difficult to ever, I think... It'll be really difficult to ever like recapture the enthusiasm for the first time you yeah. you heard these bands or the first time you you know went to one of these shows or, sure. or one of these records came through the mail from England that you got you, you know paid twenty dollars for and you right. sent cash in a folded envelope yeah, yeah. And, and and it's like you know and, and you know you don't want to be looked at as revivalists or people who are just stuck in the past but you know. It, it, it still means something, and, it, and it's what, what what everything is happening now is built on. And you kind of feel a responsibility to let you know a younger generation know um, that, like, look, you know, this is how it happened. Maybe you care, maybe you don't, but you know, here's how it happened. And it's also good to not, you know, the people who are our generation to, you know, not not let them forget that this mm-hmm. is how it happened too. Um, so I think there's like it is a unique position uh, that 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 we're in and I guess we do have like some kind of responsibility to keep keep the history out there but also not not live too far in the past which yeah. you know yeah. it's a it's a tightrope it's a very difficult line to walk and I fall off it regularly <laughs> um, well, I almost feel like in a sense that like these are you know like it reminds me of our old manager Mike talking about when he was buying a lot of music in the like the mid '60s and sort of rock and roll and all that stuff was the real rock and roll, not like sort of '50s kind of like you know Elvis and stuff, but like the Rolling Stones, the Beatles, like that whole scene was bursting upon people and it was so new and so unique to a lot of people and like you said, transient in a way. Like you know, Beatles were breaking up, Rolling Stones, people were dying and leaving, and you know, you just didn't know if like everyone was going to hold on. And now, you know, fast forward, you know to the late 70s early 80s and people can start to look back at that and like there's you know Rolling Stones or Keep Going and like the reunion tours and mm-hmm. Kisses I mean it's almost like 
are these like our Beatles and Rolling Stones sort of figures, like the late '80s, early '90s sort of scene? Are they always gonna sort of have that that imprint? You know, are people still always gonna care about a new Entombed record, no matter how good or bad it is? You know, because it's Entombed. You know, like they get carte blanche almost to. To, to be like that, you know, and at the gates, carcass, uh, morbid angel, these these kind of acts, you know. Well, I don't think no one gets carte blanche to put out a record. <laughs> well, <laughs> you, know, yeah, yeah. That, you know, I think we've we, we've had a several tune records which have been somewhere <laughs> in the middle of good and bad. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was just I was just speaking as a but, yeah, but, 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I think what I'm going to get to in this in this piece, I guess, is that there's a connectedness now that there wasn't when we were growing up. I think when we were growing up, there were magazines, there were people interviewing bands, all the stuff that goes on today. Um, but I think it was it was very encapsulated in pieces. Like, you had the English thing going on, you had the Swedish thing going on, and you had the American thing going on, wherever else in the world it was going on. And it was connected through underground tissue, you know. But I think now, because of the internet, because of the way we communicate to one another, which is a little bit different than we used to, um, I think it's much more the connective tissue is much stronger and there's much more of it um, and I think if we, you know if we're able to um, keep that strong I think that there's no reason why um, we as the decision makers at this time like our you know magazine editors of the past were decision makers back then were able to make those bonds continually stronger you know that's that's why I think about it we're continually you know Albert you're putting out decibel you wrote choosing death um, you guys doing the podcast. I mean, you know, freelance journalists writing pieces about whatever band they're writing about. I think they're making those connective tissues stronger um, and uh, and more prevalent. That's just my. That's what I think about it. Sure. No. So I think we're just in the decision making process now, where we weren't so much in the past, like when we were growing up as as high schoolers and stuff, or teenagers kind of discovering this music. We were more discovering as opposed to having a more mature, uh, tempered set of vision you right. know we could actually go into it and make a decision like I want to write a book about death metal like as a teenager you'd be like yeah I want to do that and you'd be like yeah, I'm not doing that <laughs> you know like it, I'm not you know it's just, I'm not going to sit there with my legal pad and write it out you know or go to Kinko's and rent you know computer time to type it out on a Mac you know an Apple IIe or whatever right you know I think that it's much more feasible now for people to do that and I think that you know, we're the decision makers now. We, we have it's, the onus is on us to continue to preserve and also look forward. You know, yeah, yeah for sure. What do you think the the longevity of the extreme metal genre has like added to its validity at all in the just in mass culture? The longevity that 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 has been. Like people that it's going to continue, or that it's been yeah. Like that. people saying, like you know, ninety one might have thought this was just some weird little phase of music that would have gone out in five years. Right. Well, ninety four, ninety five, death metal was supposed to. Yeah, I mean, it's had all these like you know? almost death rattles for like the last ten or fifteen years. Like every three, four years, everything seems to kind of fizzle out. Like what's going to happen? Yeah, but it's always you know the the things that fizzles are, are always like subgenres within sure. genres and it, it's, as long as there's like something happening Power under violence. the banner of yeah, <laughs> as, long as, as long as there's something happening under the umbrella of extreme metal whether it's like um, trends that pull black metal to the surface and then back down and death metal up or metalcore mm-hmm. up and hardcore down or whatever I think like um, you know you're always going to have that you're always going to have like the next thing like you know all these 
I don't even know what they're called now. All these deathcore bands, all these kind of like suicide silence bands, that all these MySpace metal bands that mm-hmm. you know I can't tell apart. That we try to <laughs> find the good ones and cover. Um, you know, like there's always it's it's going to keep moving and it's going to go through ebbs and flows, but it, it can't go away. It's like that it, will never die. No, it's down. it's too established now and. There will there there will be an ebb and flow in popularity, and right. you know we'll you know we'll see it you know we'll see it firsthand with Decibel because you know it's you know our success in a lot of ways is predicated on how you know popular the the genre is and the subgenres within the genres and how you respond to it, right? Yeah, sure. You know, and what we cover and what we do with it, and you know, trying to find that movement as it's bubbling to the surface and sort of grab on and, and be part of it, you know, right. Instead of ignoring it, or something. And, yeah, and, you know, and at the same time, you know, making sure you, you know, are being true to your original aesthetic with what you're doing. Sure. You know, I mean, like, if we wanted to, I'm sure whatever the hell was happening that was big. Sad thing is I don't even know, <laughs> like bullet for my Valentine or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. You put them on the cover, mm-hmm. you know, and like, you know, I know we're putting Dragon Force on the cover, but at least I, I think to me at least they still like kind of fit within the aesthetic. And so yeah, they're like, still metal. They're yeah. still metal. There's they're fun. They actually have friend. like black metal roots. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's like, you know, not to get off the subject here, but mm-hmm. like, uh, I do think it will, you know, it will continue. Um, it will ebb and flow. I think it's probably going to take a little bit of a downturn, but the the other thing that is just um, difficult to predict is just the overall future of uh, the music industry and music retail. And, Absolutely. And, this this you know, big CDs, change is coming. Yeah, yeah. CDs as the, as the preferred medium um, to sell this stuff. I mean, I'm sure, you know, Chris, with your day job, I'm sure you see these charts and you see what's selling and what isn't. And, and right now, I mean, metal still... As, as far as like physical CD sales and stuff still sells right and you know I mean that Opeth record Opeth had a top 20 album yeah how crazy is that I mm-hmm. mean like you know and it, it isn't you know I mean I don't want to discredit them because they've obviously worked and, done, and yeah. got to a level but it, it's like you know the, the uh, Opeth's rise and the music industry's decline it's kind of meeting halfway to get them to that kind of status where you can have a top 20 record right. um, yeah. so you know like there's just so many factors to kind of determine how how popular metal will be and you know and I guess it's all about context really you know sure. it might be extraordinarily popular extraordinarily popular if you just look at you know physical CD sales in a few mm-hmm. years mm-hmm. Yeah. I, mean, I think it will continue um, there will be always be ups and downs um but I think the most important thing that uh, what the most important thing about metal is that it's a global thing, mm-hmm. um, and I believe it was Jelly Biafra who was saying like what he he doesn't really he's not really a big metal fan, but I think he was quoted as saying like the cool thing about metal is that no matter what country and no matter what culture you're in, you're always going to find someone who will sort of throw up the universal signs of metal, whether it be the horns, the pentagram, or mm-hmm. a spiked armband or something like that. It's a universal thing. Um, and it doesn't matter what your la- what, the, what the language is. You can go into a country and speak no language, but somehow you're able to communicate through music, through the style of music. And I think that's that's the powerful thing. Yeah. You know, and I think as long as bands continue to put out quality music, regardless of style or genre, and people continue to be receptive to it and understand it and appreciate it, then I think it will continue. Um, there's always going to be, you know, there's the thrash metal boom, there was a death metal boom, there's a black metal boom. And I think, you know, it all it all goes in phases. Um, so, but I think it will continue. Sure. Yeah. 
and we've, we've talked about that before with Sepultura about the global yeah. metal sort of scene and just they were one of the first bands to sort of globalize I guess because they were coming from a completely different you know non-Anglo oriented place you know but uh, I kind of you know, not that the detour wasn't a cool place to go, but sort of. Sir McLaughlin group metal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Issue number two. Issue number two. Uh, at the gates. <laughs> but um, kind of to bring us back to, to, to at the gates and, and kind of what we saw last night and stuff like that. Um, you know, we've sort of all given uh, our personal like metal histories, or you know, why we got into metal, what we were listening to, what sort of was our gateway and stuff. Where did you, where did you kind of come into it in terms of getting to like say at the gates and sort of the the beginnings of the the Swedish metal scene? Uh, I, I mean, I guess it would technically be like a late bloomer because yeah. I was like ninety one, okay. you know, like kind of um, getting into stuff. Um, I guess, like, I mean, if you want the whole sordid history, I guess, you know, you're looking at the, like, man. I mean, like, a real gateway band for me was, like, Sepultura, you know, sure. you just mentioned. Like, yeah, records like too. like Beneath the Remains and Arise. Yeah. Like, Arise was, like, a real, like... Huge. <laughs> and, you know, it's, like, Arise, and then it's, like, you know, you got a friend who's, like, oh, if you like that, you know, you should check out Obituary. It's a bit heavier, but, you know, you might be... You know, mm-hmm. I checked it out and was like, all right, well, I'll buy Cause of Death because Cause of Death was the most recent one. Yeah. So you get Cause of Death and it's like, you make your transition to the vocals, you're like, okay, that's kind of awesome. And then it's like, you know, Napalm and and then it's over. You're sure. doing it for yeah. life. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, I think for like for me personally, At the Gates was probably more like a 91, 92 thing. Uh, and I think that that was more... Uh, like kind of I mean I probably got into them in some way probably because like Paradise Lost mm-hmm. um, you know and the gothic record and peaceful stuff and, and pulling out the peaceful like right. pamphlets and oh yeah. what else so is it's on probably, the I mean yeah. it was I, I, I there's no way I heard them before 92 um, and you know it, then the Red in the Sky is ours be the first thing that I would have gotten I'm guessing what, what year was Peaceful Volume 4 is that 92? Mm, 92 yeah, I mean that probably Kingdom Gone from Volume Four would be my first exposure to them. You know, I think our you know like for those who heard Volume Four, I think that was probably our exposure to a lot of those bands. Mm-hmm. Dark Throne, everything. Dark like Throne. Yep. Uh, what else was on that? And then I think shortly after that there was Death Metal. The center, Death Metal Cup. Which yeah. Was oh, yeah. The, you know, which was even the more underground version of which you for the first time you heard Dissection, for example. Mm-hmm. Eucharist, the view. Eucharist, the view. Um, Incredible song. You know, uh, what was the other stuff on there? Nightfall. Um, Mortis Skull, you know. Mortis Skull. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Still kicking? Now, you guys, when did you guys get into At The Gates? I would say we were, we're probably, strangely enough, probably around the same time under the same circumstances. Yeah. It was almost like a parallel universe, really. Like hearing mm-hmm. Albert talk about him discovering, you know, bands through, either through Flyers or through Volume 4. So I think we all went through that, you know. That weird somehow discovery process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the pre-internet or like everything was just like yeah. what you can lead you to the next. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we we definitely weren't into grotesque when grotesque was active. We were, you know, we picked up on at the gates at Red and Sky's hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember we because you know we got the peaceful version, then we got the grindcore version, which came out later. Oh yeah, the license version. version. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's what I have still. Yeah, huh. both. Um, but. We discovered at the gates, and I think once you heard it, you were like, "What the hell is this? Mm-hmm. This is incredible!" 
It sounds like nothing. It doesn't sound like any of the American things you've heard before or the British things you've heard before, which was very, like, meaty, thick, uh, you know, manly death metal. And there was nothing... There was The melodic sensibilities were kind of subdued and very, you know, carefully placed, whereas without the gates, it was like you're listening to, like, death metal with classical sensibilities. You know, it's almost like as if your parents, if they would have heard it, they would be like, oh... I can see the musical value in that. Whereas if they were to hear both, they'd be like, mm, no, not so much. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. You know, you know, there's a violin player, for example, on the At the Gates on the first album. Maybe he's a session player, but, um, you know, that was a huge thing. You're like, a violin player with death metal? Uh, it, was, it was crazy. So there was like, oh, these just counterpoint melodies coming in from every different, you know, every different direction. It was fast as hell. And, I mean, Thomas's vocals were different. He I'm, sounded different than, I mean, they yeah. weren't as refined as, like, you know the, the the style that he has, that I, I guess that he's kind of known for with onslaught or the soul. True, but like it was still a different approach. It was a scream instead of a, a growl. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. and I think that was really attractive. I mean, it was it was something different. It was something new. You know, you were you had bought you know the Entomb record, uh, Left Hand Path, and it was great. You probably had bought the Dismember record. It was great, Grave Unleashed, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Theranon, Carbonized, whatever. I think the minute you heard At the Gates, it was like, you know, something changed. You know, your eyes opened a little wider than they had been before. They're almost like a, like a Sepultura. Oh, like anybody, like I remember in high school, people that didn't even really get into metal like loved that Rise record. I mean, everybody had t-shirts, everybody right. buying the CDs and everything. Yeah, Rise was kind of like, the pain, like Cowboys from Hell in that regard. Yeah. It was sort of like that next step, you know, it was like Cowboys from Hell, and you had a rise, and everyone's everyone. And then cause of death was like the biggest gateway. I think there was true death metal, yeah, the record you know of the era. Yeah, know. just a lot of people I know well, that spiritual healing was a big thing too. Yeah, yeah, huge metal fans just really got in. Like something by at the gates just like kind of captured their imagination. They're like, well, this is there's something really unique about they this. Had, they had so many other elements that were just so much different. You know, like they had like looking back the lyrics on those first two records the lyrics on those first two records are just so much different than the other death metal bands of that yeah. time like it wasn't all fantasy no. kind of death killing vibe. No. it was like poetic yeah, it really yeah. was and, and and you know it's like the, there, there weren't bands offering that up I mean they're, they're like you know in retrospect look now maybe the more, es- more, more esoteric stuff like you know My Dying Brian things yeah. like that but like, yeah, they weren't really singing about Satan. I, I never really knew what the hell they were singing about. <laughs> but like, nobody yeah. was cool. I knew it was cool, and I knew that like, like, you know, I knew there's a record called "The Red in the Sky Is Ours," and with "Fear I Kiss the Burning Darkness." I'm like, I don't know what the hell that means. <laughs> it sounds cool, and yeah. you know, like their logo looked different, and the. I don't know. It was Artistic just, sensibility was completely different. Yeah, there's just, yeah. There's just the, the red cover and the blue cover. I mean, just it was it was not people getting hacked up. Yeah, and, it was you know. it was different, and you knew <laughs> you knew it was more sophisticated. You didn't know exactly why because you weren't sophisticated enough to understand <laughs> why it might be, but you knew it was different. Um, and it, it kind of raised you up on the. I don't. Know, I always like thought of like when I bought like say Orchid or Skydancer or like old at the gates. It was like I could show this to my non-metal friends and be like, read the lyrics. Hmm. What do you think about that? <laughs> it's like a poem, isn't it? Yeah. Whoa. This is you know. What's what? Why is there a picture of a flower on a death metal record? Like yeah. oh, you should hear the acoustic guitars and yeah. or the violin or the piano you know? solo. Yeah, right. things like that. You know, and it, it was uh, a, a very unique band for sh- for sure in that you know that time period. I mean, I think a lot of the Gothenburg bands, you know, talking about Eth Gates and Eucharist and other bands, 
they were inspired by two diff- two things. I think they were inspired by classical music, like Vivaldi and uh, Vivaldi. I know Eucharist is definitely inspired by Vivaldi, mm-hmm. but they're also inspired greatly inspired by British band Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Um, Martin Walkier and his, you know, the guy never shut up um, because his lyrics, like I think one song was like two booklet pages in the CD, <laughs> and uh, and I think that a lot of those Gothenburg bands were thrash based anyway. You know, or before they got more well, refined, kind of part of the German thrash. Yeah, they, they really were influenced they by were into, the, they were into the, Korea, they were into Sabbath, they were into the the European thrash sound, and I think mm-hmm. they took that to to a different place. Mm-hmm. You know, by being isolated from Stockholm, it's not that far away, really. But by being isolated, they just sort of created their own scene, and it's really weird. East and West on Sweden, you have two different, completely different sounds, kind of like in America. Mm-hmm. You know, the thrash in New York is completely different from thrash in the Bay Area. Yeah. Anthrax is much different than Testament. I mean, you know, it's, it's really easy to tell that. Right. So, and, and and like you said, like those long sort of almost like seamless lyrics where it wasn't built around chorus. You know, not until like they get to like say slaughter the soul and, and they're really simplified mm-hmm. and refined. But like those early, you know, at the gates, Gothenburg kind of records meandered. You know, like we were talking about Skydancer from Dark Tranquility and like how there's there's no repetition of any lyric. You were saying that yesterday, I think. Yeah. Like, how in the hell did that guy even remember any of the lyrics? Because there's like no repetitious patterns or it's just constant flow of music. Yeah. You know, it's like Canterbury Tales set the <laughs> yeah, yeah, something. <laughs> Um, Scott Hall would approve for that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Scott Hall, a big uh, British lit guy? No, he just, he, he, in a recent decibel issue, he took some shot at him. Okay. Oh, Canterbury okay. Tales. <laughs> yes, I remember that. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty funny. Yeah, yeah it was pretty funny. Um, so, in talking about it, the Gates, um, we should maybe mention, I guess, who the heck's in the band, just in case anyone's kind of interested. You know, we mentioned uh, Thomas Lindbergh, the very famous vocalist right. um, the brothers and, uh, Anders and Jonas Anders and Jonas um, Bueller. Bueller and um, and you know for the first EP and the first two records uh, Alf Alf Spencer yeah I mean right. he was uh, I mean there's really you know and I think most people who are like pure at the gates fans not just fans of a certain record you know Notice the the clear divide between like the first two records and the last two records, and, sure. and what a what kind of style Elf had, and mm-hmm. and like you know he was, I mean he wrote a lot of the stuff, he yeah. wrote a lot of the stuff, and he had such a different kind of angular approach to playing that, um, the, I mean those first two records, and especially with Curious Kiss the Burning Darkness, is a very difficult album. Absolutely, like I. I could not penetrate that album for years. Like yeah. it was like there's like when I still listen to it, there's still stuff that like I just can't like I can't get That's my head around. Just, it's, yeah. it, it's not a comfortable listen. No. no. I mean uh, the fact that like the production is horrendous doesn't <laughs> yeah, doesn't help. Who produced uh, those their their early stuff? Oh, uh, like there's well, just unnameable a guy guys. Bar, no one, think, no yeah, one particularly guy, famous. Uh, I can't remember their names. It's yeah. the guy who did. Uh, uh, with her, um, Red in the Skies Ours apparently it's like the only metal record he ever he's ever done right. and it kind of shows <laughs> well I think Dark Tranquility I think all those bands at the time were doing that they were going to studios because this they were available right like mm-hmm. it wasn't like he went to like Thomas Scogsberg because he produced death metal they just went to like I think Dark Tranquility the same thing they went to another studio they didn't go to Fredman they just went to like a studio and like 
produced a record, mm. and it was like, okay, that's this is what we have. This is what we have to work with, and they did it. Right. You know, it wasn't like a popular. It wasn't a popular choice to go to. Yeah, you had very limited options. You know, whoever could possibly not laugh you out of the studio. Scottsford didn't yeah. produce the second Epic Games, did he? I don't think he did. No, I don't think he did either. Who? There's, there's only some way to find out. Metal only Archives. some way. Some, <laughs> the source <laughs> that exists that we could type things in, oh, find wow. information. Uh, maybe in the future. Yeah. Maybe. Um, but so yeah, so, so there was Ulf and uh, Adrian Erlandson. 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 See, that's why we have. You rely on Chris for all Swedish pronunciation. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Um, who was the drummer who was the short-haired drummer? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which was always like With the kind of one. Yeah. 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 Hey, look, there's the, there's the short-haired guy. It's like the tennis player in the metal band. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was the short-haired guy, and um, and yeah, I gotta say, I'm, I'm a little bummed that he, you know, he had to grow out his hair for Cradle, and yeah. now that he was out, I was hoping he'd hack it off, but. He must That's have luck. grown in love with the, the yeah. locks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He could have given them to Thomas, and Thomas could have dreaded them. That's true. When we, <laughs> saw, red. When we, red. When we saw Thomas the, the first time, Chris and I, he, yeah. he had the, the long dread, yeah. you know, red, dread locks. I've been trying to convince Jeff Walker to go back to the dreadlocks oh. for the Parkus reunion, but, you know. Just he does like, claim... What about extensions? Can you do dread extensions? He does... <laughs> He does say that he still has them, the actual dreadlocks that they're in a bag in the attic. That's disgusting. You heard it here. You heard it here, folks. I can give anybody who wants to email me Jeff Walker's address and you can go to his <laughs> house. Rummage through Find that. out for yourself. Yeah. Um, but, uh, um, yeah, I don't really know how to categorize Adrian's playing as a drummer because it, it like... From those first two records, again, so much different than what it evolved to. I mean, I think, yeah, I think Adrian was was drumming in unison with Alf's completely, you know, out of this universe playing style. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, he was a very precise drummer, very clean. Very Um, hard. What's that? Seems like he plays his entire body instead of more loosely. Um, But, I mean, we didn't know that when we were listening to the record. Oh, no, no. But, I mean, you listen to that record and you listen to the drumming and it sounds different from... The you know the the bash it doesn't sound like he's bashing on the drums it sounds like he's actually playing around this uh, strange tapestry of riffs that somehow are connected together you know could we dare say I, I don't I hate to throw this word out because it always brings me back to like Spinal Tap or something but there's almost like a a jazz progressive sort of feel in terms of like some of the things especially in Red in the Sky is ours like I always felt like he wasn't playing yeah just straight yeah he and I'm not pushing more ex- exactly I mean yeah. I, don't, I don't know if that's off the cuff no I mean it, it might be of, I mean I, I don't pretend to know anything about jazz so I always I always <laughs> would just say like you know it's a very angular style it's like just not straightforward or sure. it's atypical of you know, not that death metal was a straightforward no, no. I mean, atheist style to begin with, but there was that, yeah. what they were doing was you know not what pretty much ninety you know, percent of the other bands were doing at the time. So, would you guys typify then those first you know gardens and red in the sky with fear? Like, how would you typify them? Like, I mean, obviously we talked about the drumming and Alf's sort of compositional style, but like obviously there's there's the kind of twin lead melodies that were sort of prevalent, sort of bouncing in and out of a lot of the songs. Yeah, and I mean, the thing about it is they never really, at those, at that period, they didn't overdo it. They mm-hmm. wouldn't, like, shower you with melodics. Like, they would pop up, you know, to kind of, like, 
grab your attention and then disappear on you. you know? yeah. They didn't stick with things for too long. Like I think of like Neverwhere, where like it would mm-hmm. it would go into that just like really melodic part, but then kind of come back Pull out back and go out back out at very quickly. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean that, and that was again, you know, I don't know who was doing stuff yeah. like that at that time, um, but it was it wasn't like the you know what. When somebody says melodic Swedish death metal or the Gothenburg sound, you don't think of those kinds of things. You don't think of the first two Advocates albums. They're, even though they had an influence on that, they're not prototypical of that sound. You know, Um, where you know if you say the Stockholm sound, okay, boom, you know, left hand path or. can't believe how like an overflowing stream. Yeah. <laughs> it's been, it's been a, a long days. it's been a long day. I've, I'm on three hours of sleep. I just sent uh, the latest issue of decibel to print this afternoon, so forgive me. That's um, all right. His, his ears are ringing and his fingers are burning. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, it, it's difficult to categorize like how what you would call. I don't know what 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 would you call those first two records. In fact, I would call them Gothenburg death metal. I would call them. You know, uh, and I don't think anyone really knew that Eucharist was sort of like a very inspirational to a lot of those bands because they were so young and so different. But I think I would call, you know, Gardens of Grief and Red and Skies Hours Gothenburg Death Metal. And I think, you know, because it may signify that there's actually more than one style of Gothenburg Death Metal. I think they, they were the most different of those style of bands. Mm. Um, whereas you had. You know, you had In Flames coming in um, early on, and they were more like they were melodic, almost overly so. But they were still aggressive. You know, they just had the aggressive side, where that the gates were more were melodic, but not at all. The, you know, they were melodic. They were more aggressive than melodic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you had uh, Dark Tranquility, I think were almost were sort of somewhere in between those two bands. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, even if you listen to all of those records, there's a lot of things that sort of connect them together. Well, one is melody, obviously. Two is aggression, and three is you know a playing style which is very clean and, and concise. Um, those records are very, they're very, they cut very easily. You know, they, they sound like they, they're, they're razor sharp. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that comes from the thrash kind of absolutely, background. Absolutely, um, I think it comes from the, the, the thrash influence. Um, they weren't influenced by the repulsions and the and the deaths and the montas and the obituaries or the executioners of the world. You know, Celtic Frost, for example, they they weren't the genesis. They were there was something else coming from that. Right. Um, so I would call this definitely uh, Gothenburg death metal. Um, like Garden, like all, uh, all life ends, which they played last night. You know, hearing that live, you know, I turned to Mark and I said, you know, I, I always put at the gates in Gothenburg, but that song and maybe because Guards of Grief, they're so young and just it was you know the progenesis of all this stuff, but. It, it very much had sort of an undertone of Stockholm mm-hmm. kind of sound to it, probably because that was the only thing, you know, if you're a bunch of young Swedish teenagers, that's the only thing you know how to really play at that point, you know? Right. And I, I, I just see, uh, even though there are elements on the Gardens of Grief EP that suggest that they were going to move in a different direction, it really became clear on, on Red in the Sky is Ours, and then with Fear, I don't know if I was you guys thought, agree or disagree on I mean, that. I was like, with Fear was almost a regression. I thought it was a conscious yeah. regression. It was, it was hard to listen to when it because it was so it was so raw, and they did the discharge cover. Um, it was almost like as if they were trying to dirty up the sound. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And obviously, Elf left midway through the recording, so obviously there was some friction between the songwriters and those young guys trying to figure out, like, what do we do next? 
here we are in the studio, we're spending money, we're burning money, and we don't have a cohesive idea of how what we want to do. And I think at that point, you know, Alf and the, the songwriters, whether it be Anders, Jonas, or Adrian, or whoever, clashed. And mm-hmm. Alf said, well, I'm going go to I'm gonna go do Ox of Blagats, which is really hard to say. <laughs> uh, and I can be as weird as I want to without anyone, conf- you know, talking, you know, you know, taking my stuff and saying, no, what, I want to do that. Right. Um, and that's what, you know, they brought in Martin Larson, you uh, have to do the recording from House of Usher, mm-hmm. to play on that record. And I think, like you said, I mean, it's a really difficult record. And I think that the production, which sucks, the songwriting, which is convoluted, um, Thomas's vocals just seem completely like they're, they're like, lost. They're, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're they're ragged. They're, yeah. It's like you know, like it's almost like the last dying breath of someone who's completely frustrated with everything in, in his life. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's almost no melody to it. I mean, like there is melody there, but it's so encased in aggression and frustration and a crappy production that it's it works, but it's completely different from its predecessor. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I wasn't in love with that album when it came out. You know, it wasn't like uh, Ever Opening Flowers, like the only song, the first song I attached myself to. Really? Yeah. Right by the Light of Christ, I think I heard that too pretty quick. Yeah. Primal yeah. Breath. Uh, although not till years later did I really link on the Primal Breath. But I guess. but. I don't know, man. I, I, I that record it, it was like it really it, it confounded me for a long time. Um, but you know, I don't, I don't want to move too far ahead. But like, it, like you know, Terminal Spirit Disease was like a year later. I mean, those records are all ninety two, ninety three, ninety four. Yep. Yeah. And like, I mean, it's crazy that 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 that, that, that they were able to kind of take such a one eighty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really, with terminal spirit disease, and well, it's the it's the brothers, right? Yeah. You know, who really, taken over? Who took it over and steered the ship in that direction? They were definitely thrash fans. Yeah, absolutely. They the, wanted to, to take team. it to you know, make it concise, make it quick, make it you know, um, pro. You know, instead right. of making it, making it convoluted and then you know, un- unattainable. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, that's probably their most melodic record, right? You know what I mean? Like, I mean, obviously the. Everybody knows that Slaughter and Soul is catchy as sin, but like, you know, there's just like so many layers of melody with Terminal Spirit Disease. Right. Sure. So the title track, for example. Right. Yeah. yeah. Forever Blind stuff. I don't want to get too far. Right. Um, yeah. What. We should probably talk a little bit about maybe some of the songs from that early era that they played last night, kind of what your thoughts were on some of them, and then maybe throw a, a couple samples out to, to the listeners of maybe a couple really representative songs of that era. Right. You know, so what were your thoughts? I mean, they played right. All Life Ends. All Life Ends, Right by the Light of Christ. Windows. Windows. And... With Fear I Kiss. With Fear I Kiss, The Burning Darkness. Yeah. Um, I thought they were great. <laughs> uh, it was nice to hear that old stuff. It was pretty interesting to watch Thomas say... You know, do you want to hear something old? And he said, "This is right by the light of Christ." And like people went, "Like, yeah, okay." <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't think a lot of people are really familiar with the first two records as much as they are with the latter two. Mm-hmm. Um, and my only disappointment with those two things is I thought that at least my at least that's what my ears were saying at the time while I was fighting off sweat and bo and all these other things <laughs> um, was that they someone turned up Jonas's bass or someone turned down the two guitars. Because the minute Ray by the Light of Christ started, like Jonas's or uh, Andrew's bass was just like with Jonas, uh, it was completely just like, and I was. It was really hard to hear. It was really hard to hear the melodies. intricate melodies that yeah. were going on because you could hear or see rather, you know, uh, Anders and Martin playing these riffs, and you just couldn't hear them. Yeah. But you know, be that as it may, you know, 
Right. And that's a really personal song in a way, too, because honestly, I don't even know if I had With Fear when you and I saw them back on the tour with Napalm Death. Um, and, and it was a, quite a small venue. We saw them in Grand Rapids, Michigan at the Reptile House, and it was July 4th. And yeah. it, was, it was pretty neat. And that song, that was my first experience uh, as a teenager, being a senior in high school, I, was, I think I was telling you this yesterday that that was the first time, you know, like Chris took us on the tour bus and we're hanging out. We went to Wendy's with Martin and, you know, hanging out with Jesse Pintado from Napalm. You know, he's growing burritos and eating them next to us. And, like, you know, you were used to all that, but, like, that was so eye opening to me. And then going in and watching them play, and, and Thomas was like a, a panther almost, the way he was, like, sort of. You know, prowling around the stage and doing these almost like Spider-Man kind of like down low center of gravity kind of moves, yeah. very you know, very cross core kind of stuff. He, he, he didn't smile quite as much back then as he. Yeah, smiling. yeah, exactly. <laughs> he probably wasn't getting those royalty checks. Yeah, yeah you know, but uh, he still might not be. No, yeah, that's true. It was <laughs> your age. It was your. I think what, what was what's the song with Twenty Two Years of Pain? Yeah, <laughs> but 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 that's that song "Rape by the Light of Christ." That was the song they dedicated to us, and that was the first time I had ever heard it you know in being a you know 18 year old in high school when a band says you know this next one goes out to chris and the requiem guys from mount pleasant that's raped by the light of christ you know I, my immediate thought is wow what would my mom say right. and in two this is badass i need right. to check this check this song out you know and so hearing that again years later i had a greater sense of appreciation of it for sure you know yeah no i i mean i don't want to i don't want to dwell on anything negative i mean like but, but for me like it was the song that they didn't play <laughs> from that era. Absolutely, uh, they they were supposed to close with Kingdom Gone, um, and according to Martin, who you know I saw after the show, he said that they were um, very hot and exhausted. So were he. They cut it, yeah. and he said that if they played it, it would be horrible. And I said, more horrible than not playing it at all. <laughs> Well, maybe not. I was like, well, uh, to everybody who's there tonight, I hope they play it. Yeah. Um, but I, and, I mean, that would be the, like, that would be the only negative thing I'd have to say about that show at all. That, mm-hmm. that people yeah. didn't get that. But I mean, the fact that they played all life ends. The fact that they played a song from the Garden of Grief EP. And the fact that they played faster than yeah, and it yeah. destroyed. That song <laughs> was ridiculous. Yeah. And like, um, hearing that, you know, I don't know, hearing that song. I just can't believe I saw At The Gates last night and they played All Life. <laughs> yeah, revert back to your 18. And Windows. Yeah. Windows yeah, is Windows something kind of just out of left field. Yeah. yeah. That was like, great, too. I mean, he said, this is Windows, and I just turned and looked at Jason, and I was like, what? Yeah, I mean, there's like, like a, am, I, you know, am I really hearing when he's going to play Windows? Like, what? Like, there are other things that you would thought that they might play first right. from, you know, Red in the Sky's Hours. Sure. You can think of a bunch of things, in fact, that they probably yeah. could do. Um, even the title track but um, no I, I mean yeah those older songs uh, it was great you, you knew they'd play The Burning Darkness and yeah such a short song and so few words and such a weird song right um, gives them a break almost yeah <laughs> like it's like the uh, <laughs> you know the but no I, I mean the, the getting getting songs from that era just you know it was great it was, a, it was a nice it was like a nice cap to the you know the, the songs you knew they were going to play, you knew they were going to kick ass on. Mm. Um, 
you know, it was nice to hear them sort of give a nod to not just the album that everyone has to love and must love, mm-hmm. but the albums that really helped build that build right. the At the Gates legacy. It, it was really, I mean, it was throwing, a, you know, it was giving it something nice to to the really true dedicated fans, not the throwing a naysayers in their thirties, yeah, <laughs> yeah, or just not the people who only <laughs> bought Slaughter of the Soul. And, and, yeah, <laughs> you know, just not all the bands that you know bought Slaughter of the Soul started a hardcore band, right? Stop there, you know, maybe listen to Terminal Spirit Disease once or twice. You know, it was it was nice to to hear those sort of songs. Yeah. Bands so, that may have been on the bill, even that maybe haven't heard those first two records. Possibility. It's a possibility. <laughs> um, what, what would you guys say then? Like a couple of songs from that era that you think are, are most representative of those early, the first, you know, the EP and the first two records. What, what are a couple that come to mind when you're thinking about them? I think we've already said them. Yeah. Yeah. Kingdom Gone. Yeah. Okay. Kingdom Gone is such a. I mean, it was on volume. It was on volume four. And it appeared live on Terminal Spirit Disease, so yeah, newer right. fans kind of got a taste yeah, of it. Right. You know, um, there's a, there's a video for it too. Yeah. yeah. And when they played it uh, on the Dissection tour, More Ranger tour, um, Dissection and More Ranger tour, it's one tour. Um, and then when they played it on the Di- Napalm Death tour, it was one of those songs that you know it's the first song that you attach to on Red and Skies Hours, no matter where you live. If, you, mm-hmm. if the album's on shuffle and it's the last track, you're going to latch onto that one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If it's the first song, you're going to latch onto it. So, you know, hearing not you know, hearing that song back then played live, you know, then on the CD, you know that that's the that is the representative track from that record. Sure. And sure. unfortunately, we didn't get a chance to hear it. You know, I'll get over it. Well, let's uh, <laughs> let's let's listen to it right now. We're going to hear All Life Ends, Kingdom Gone. Uh, and right by the light of Christ. And All Life Ends comes from the Garden of Grief EP. Kingdom, uh, Kingdom Gone comes from Red in the Sky is Ours. And right by the light of Christ comes from With Fear I Kiss the Burning Darkness.
Welcome back. You just heard All Life Ends, Kingdom Gone, and Rape by the Light of Christ. Uh, give me a, a smattering of songs from the, the early years of At the Gates. And uh, we're going to sort of end things with that because uh, we, we kind of have a feel like, like Albert was saying, that pr- practically everyone in the, the metal world is, is terribly familiar with Slaughter of the Soul. And if you're not, you should be. Yeah, if you're not, you should be. And, and certainly those of you who really appreciate that style on Slaughter of the Soul... Uh, should go back and, and get some of these early stuff, but especially terminal spirit disease because it fits into that same kind of camp uh, as Slaughter of the Soul in terms of being more of a straightforward melodic thrash metal record. Oh, yeah, yeah that, I mean, that's the transition into, you know, they can't. Into the album. Right, yeah, they can't get to, they need that, that, that point B to get to point C, C being, you know, Slaughter of the Soul. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, even though we're not going to go into in great depth, you know, obviously it's a great. It's genre-defining all-time classic, but it's the kind of thing that's like, you know, like, why should we sit here and talk about Rain and Blood? Sure. Everybody's heard it. Congratulations. You like Rain and Blood. (laughs) You know? Um, So, no, I I agree. And, and, um, you know, Terminal Spirit Disease is... that that, I I love that record. Mm -hmm. I love it. And um, I still have um, (laughs) this... You probably have one of these. When uh, Peaceville was allegedly going out of business in 1994, mm-hmm. the uh, the end of an era Peaceville tape. Do you have one of these? No. It's like a blue blue cassette, and one side is all Peaceville stuff, and the other side is all Dreamtime stuff. Okay, I don't have and one. I think I maybe I used to have one. Uh, well, I may have another one. I'll see if I have more than one. But uh, can you part with it for not one hundred dollars? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, can, I can get a buy it now together. For um, but there was a song. The song on that uh, uh, from that from at the gates was "Fevered Circle," mm-hmm. um, which I guess they put this thing out right even right even before Terminal Spirit right. Disease was released. I remember hearing that for the first time yeah. and thinking, "Wow, I have no idea what's going on with this band." Because you know, going from um, the, the those first two records, and as you said earlier, kind of regressing a little bit, um, not even creatively, just just um, I guess commercially, or I don't even know. I can't even think. Of yeah, they made themselves more accessible to listen to. Yeah, they're less accessible with the second record, and then doing something that was just like even more accessible than the first record right. that they did. Um, you know, I remember like immediately like getting tracking down a copy and ordering Terminal Spirit Disease after right. that. Um, but um, yeah, and then everybody knows Slaughter of the Soul is good. Sure. And which uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and I'll I'll give you a chance for a plug. I feel like John Stewart here and, you know. But which which issue of Decibel, if people are more curious about Slaughter of the Soul, can they um, read about uh, You can read about that. I believe it is issue number five, which is our March uh, two thousand five issue with Morbid Angel on the cover. And you know, we have a Box, there's a box of them down the hall. So yeah. you can yeah. order them online if you want to check it out. It's a great story, and it was actually the the earache um, bonus DVD for Slaughter of the Souls, pretty much based on that piece. Oh wow! Uh, because they were, you know, I got contacted from earache when they were working on it. They're like, "Can you send us a PDF of that article?" Like, sure thing. Uh, <laughs> so as soon as you pay for that advertisement, <laughs> <laughs> did we say that? <laughs> It's a free, it's a free podcast. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, so there you go. And I actually just 
I think read that feature this morning in preparation for talking about it at the gates, just in case, you know, get my bearings straight, make sure my facts are, are on fire and stuff. But uh, personal, before we kind of sign off here, personal favorite record or song or anything from at the gates? Just oh man. Yeah, it's difficult to to narrow them down because they're such a they're a band that's gone through so many different phases. Mm-hmm. There's so many different eras and sounds, and like yeah. each one of those records is so distinctly different. Um, I mean, I can listen to Slaughter of the Soul ad nauseum. You know, you can just put it on and just on, and it is it is a record like Rain and Blood. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a hard time like picking a song from that because I feel like it's like straight on through. It's one great. album. Yeah, it's one piece of music. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I I hate to do this, but I'd have to go to like Kingdom Gone for me for like as yeah. like a song that like when I think of At the Gates, that's what I think of first. Mm-hmm. So I think of that record, and I and I almost I even kind of think of the of the title track Red in the Skies Hours and Kingdom Gone together as like one almost like one unit. Mm-hmm. You know, going from the blast that starts off that song to the weird raining violin that like outros it and into Kingdom Gone after that is yeah I mean I, when I think about the gates that's what I normally think yeah. of mm-hmm. actually it's funny because I go back to Red in the Sky as well but a different kind of sequence of songs they're kind of in the middle or later half of the record with for some reason I've always linked on to Claws of Laughter Dead going into Neverwhere because mm-hmm. I think my my entryway into this kind of era of Swedish metal was through like Skydancer so I was always looking for like give me melody yeah. give me twin leads just flying out and Clausel After Dead had some sick like melodic sort of uh, single picking solos and, and so things like that everywhere, and everywhere. Like, everywhere. Everywhere. it's just, it's it's just yeah. everywhere so like that, that was like glue for me you know so what about you Chris? Uh, I think um, bo- it sort of bookends I think for me because it's largely probably attached to some experience or emotion um, I think Red in the Sky is ours I really like that one because it's so different from the time it opened my eyes a lot to what was possible with death metal um, mm-hmm. and I listened to it I listened to it a lot um, when uh, when it came out um, and then I think Terminal or uh, uh, Red in the Sky is ours uh, no actually wrong thing Slaughter the Soul uh, when it came out, I remember it was it was what September or October? Maybe it was late August. Um, it was fall. I have a hard time. It was fall because I remember driving around in my car, and that was like the first record I could actually blast in my car and not like I don't know. It didn't sound weird because mm-hmm. um, it was just really this continuous set of songs that just kind of like Slayer, Random Blood, that it just kept going and going and going. And it, there was no real break. There was no uncomfortable songwriting. It was just very consistent. Um, and of course, the weather was great at the time. And you know, I was happy to be driving through the country roads of Michigan with this song, this album, just blasting on cassette. And in fact, it was Mark's cassette because he got serviced at first from Earache. And I was, <laughs> Never heard the end of it. Yeah. And I was insanely <laughs> jealous Opeth about that. As well, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But isn't that ironic that Mark had Opeth before Chris? Wow. Actually, he didn't. Actually, he had the CD. <laughs> I had the CD. I had the CD. <laughs> you had the CD. I had the tape a year and a half before you did. Um, but uh, you know. That was definitely like those are experiences that you know I don't I would never forget um, because of you know the environment the weather what you know what we were doing at the time with the magazine mm-hmm. um, and I think we had a pers- semi personal relationship with the band um, so but going back to the original question I'm still I'm going to agree with Albert I'm going to go back to Red and Skies is so, ours so my, three Red yeah, and Skies so I'm, I'm going to go the same as well so wow. and I, I typically don't 
cherry pick song. Anytime I listen to music, I listen to full albums. Right. So I'm the only guy that doesn't can't tell you every single song title. I listen to the whole thing straight through. So gosh, come on. I, I'm a hack. I'm sorry. <laughs> but uh, no, that you would, you wouldn't make most. it in the MySpace world. You wouldn't. You wouldn't make it in my world either. <laughs> that's what the internet's for. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's why I'm not a journalist. <laughs> but yeah, I definitely uh, just just the era that came out and you know how you felt as what were we like 17 18 years old we were well i was 17 you were 18 yeah so i mean just that that time and just everything associated with that record it just felt right and every time i hear i listen to it again it just brings back all that kind of like when you know that album was the most important thing in my life at that couple hours i was listening to it nothing else really mattered kind of thing so i can see that that that. so and I think it was one of those records too. I mean, not to you know, it was like you have a death metal collection, and it's sort of like what you were alluding to earlier, honey. Um, you have a death metal collection; it's kind of cool and whatever. But then you get this record like at the gates, and it sort of elevates it. It sort of you know uh, justifies why you're into. No, nah, I wouldn't even say that. Stuff. I think it just it, it, it's a it's such a smart record, and I don't even think they knew it was smart at the time. I th- it just it's one of those things that happened. And I think that, you know, from the lyrics, like Albert mentioned, I think to the production, to the songwriting, to the drumming, to everything about it, the artwork, for example, being that hand with a glowing orbit, um, I, I think it would just made death metal almost, it almost legitimized it in, creatively in an artistic sense. And almost said death metal is more than just a bunch of dudes, you know, getting out their aggression. It's actually, it could be more. Yeah, there's more than one emotion. Absolutely. On that yeah. Yeah. This is weird. I... I can you do a Hall of Fame record just off of our opinion? Because <laughs> I think we just you know pretty much nominate for some sort of Hall of Fame status. Accidentally. You know, people do talk about like there being a band to have multiple mm. albums in the Hall of Fame. We haven't done it yet, certainly. Um, but I would like to do it someday. And mm. Red in the Sky, I'd be happy to write that. There you go. We heard, you heard it first here, kids. So. All right, well, it's been a, a great pleasure uh, having a nice forum here. Usually it's just you know, Mark and I, but it's nice to hear some, some fresh voices and stuff like that. So we really appreciate you, you know, spending some time with us, Albert. Well, thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for you know, getting the show kind of organized a little bit in New York and dragging us out here for a reason, you know, so, <laughs> to record the Amorphous podcast, of course. Exactly. <laughs> right. So, um, but thank you, Albert. Thank you. Thank you, you Chris. Find, uh, thank you. If you want to do an internet plug as well for the the site, possible oh. site for oh, subscriptions yeah, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, plug time. Plug time. You can go to decibelmagazine.com, which will take you right now to thedeciblog.com, which is updated daily. Um, fun stuff. Uh, fun stuff. Uh, majority of which is written by uh, Chris, in fact, um, and uh, every once in a while, um, when I'm not nodding off at my desk, I write something on the blog. Um, but you can there's a forum with a lot of crazy people on it every day. And subscribe, full web store of back issues and stuff. And also choosing death, which has some parts dealing with the, the Swedish scene. Correct? Yeah, yeah, I'm terrible at plugging myself. I'm sorry. Yeah. In fact, don't even yeah, don't bother with choosing death. Get uh, Swedish death metal, which is uh, a book that's uh, going to be out now. Um, uh, it's been. It was out in Europe uh, probably about a year ago. Quite now. expensive. Quite expensive. It cost a couple people in this room eighty dollars a piece. <laughs> I uh, tried, but it sold out. And yeah. uh, it sold out, but now it's getting a proper U.S. release uh, through Bazillion Points, um, and it's 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 a reasonable thirty five dollars. It's like five hundred pages, and it's amazing. Yeah. There's just tons of information. Who wrote that? Uh, 
fellow by the name of Daniel Ekaroth, or Ekaroth, I'm not sure. Uh, I defer to the Swedish pronunciation. I would have to say that. <laughs> I don't know. But, um, Judges? <laughs> but he's a... He's a uh, He's an older guy, you know, he's closer to, to our age, I think he's 35, 36, and he was, he was in the scene, so he has a different perspective when he's writing, mm-hmm. you know, as, you know, somebody who wasn't actually in the scene and in bands and, you know, um, with what I did with Choosing Death, he has a different perspective, which is really fascinating. Yeah. Um, and it's a great book, and there's a lot of At The Gate stuff in there. There's some At The Gate stuff in Choosing Death, too, but um, there's, a, there's a lot more in Swedish Death Mount. And which, what's the website again? BazillionPoints.com. Yeah, BazillionPoints.com. Yeah. And for our Spanish listeners, Choosing Death, the Spanish version is coming out. Uh, yes, it'll be uh, Choosing Muerte, um, which, <laughs> which will be out also through Bazillion Points. There's a translation that's being worked on right now. Uh, I think it's probably going to be early 09. Great. Cool. Yeah. cool. And I'm trying to write like an extra chapter for it. So if mm-hmm. I actually do that, then, um, you know, people who can read Spanish, you get a bonus. Pick it up, you get yeah. a bonus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Will you do an English, like, online chapter uh, posting of the Mexican or the South American scene? I don't know. Subscription. I don't know. Well, you know, <laughs> I, I, you know, there's talk of this. Five dollars. Um, and it's only talk. Of, from me, uh, like I wanted someday. I'd love to do an expanded and revised version of Choosing Death. That's like you know, like a hundred more pages or something, and correct some things. Choosing more death. Yeah, like there's some there's a couple glaring errors that kill me in there, and there's a number of typos, and I'd love to go in and clean a few things up as well as expand on some things. And mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that the, the the actual writing process for the book ended, you know, in early 2004. So much more has happened since then. Sure. There's been like a, you know, the, what we're talking almost a renaissance. Yeah, I mean, what we talked about earlier. I mean, there's we went to an at the gate show last night. You know, I mean, you go into a carcass was, so pretty yeah, soon. Yeah, know? and that was not like something I ever imagined I would happen when you know I was putting the book together. So there's, mm-hmm. this, I mean, between you know David Vincent back in Morbid Angel, Obituary reforming, um, uh, at the gates, carcass. I mean, if I sat here, I could think of a. Both are breaking Both are Yeah. Finally. Well, and if you have any comments about our podcast, you can email us at requiempodcast at gmail.com. R-E-Q-U-I-E-M podcast at gmail.com. So thanks again for our special guest. So I'm Jason. I'm Mark. I'm Chris. And I'm Albert. Die, 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 die.